What's up, everybody? Welcome to Stick to Football Bleacher Report's NFL Draft Podcast. I'm Matt Miller, lead draft writer at BR. Joining me this week, my boy Mello sitting across the table from me telling his kids to be quiet. And we got Connor in New York. Next week, though, well, CR is coming to Joplin, and I can't wait. That's yeah. right. It's good to be back, boys. I missed you guys. Uh, I obviously listened to the shows while I was away, and I was getting a little FOMO kicked in halfway through. <laughs> And I was like, and now the best news is I got back from Europe and I found out that I'm coming to you guys. So it'll be my stick to football Friday debut, not only in general, but actually from Joplin, Missouri, which is going to be pretty sweet. It'll be good. It's always easier to do a show with the three of us if we're all together. Like sometimes on the midweek show when you're in New York or even at times when Matt's been away, it's, it's a little bit harder, but you get all three of us together. It's, it's a lot easier to do it. I think it's more fun that way. And we did some in Mobile. We did one in Indy. And I think those are actually some of our best shows we've ever done. So next week's Friday show, uh, the one that will come out, I believe it'll come out August 3rd. It's going to be a good one. It's going to be a lot of fun. Uh, Today, though, we have a good show for you. Uh, We're going to go around the league with some news and notes. Then we're going to preview the trenches for the 2018 college football season and 2019 draft. And then we'll close it out with your guys' questions. You submitted a ton of them. Unfortunately, we don't even have time to get to all of them this week, so I will jump on Twitter, I'll jump on Reddit, jump on Instagram, and try to get to all the ones we didn't get to answer today. If you guys haven't yet, you can check out. We do have that new Reddit uh, subforum. It's just reddit.com slash stick to football. So should be a lot of fun. Let's uh, get into it, guys. We are here. We're all here. We all showed up to work today. Josh Gordon is not. And this is a weird situation. He's not holding out. He's not suspended. But he released a statement that said this was a defensive measure, basically, because he's had some substance abuse issues in the past. And so he's going to take some time away and he's not at camp. I have a lot of questions. That's a it's a weird time to take time away at the very beginning of training camp. Like I've just been away and I don't want to be the guy that's like, hey, um, why didn't you do this three or four weeks ago? If it's a preventative thing, uh, you know, not. You're not reacting to something that happened. I don't understand. And I don't want to be that asshole who's like, hey, uh, this guy has substance abuse problems. Getting help is good at any time, you know? Right. But well, then why does the NFL come out? And Connor, I would love to hear what you think about this. The NFL comes out and says, we're going to address this in due time. Uh, address what? Like, that scares it's me. Very, it's very confusing to me. And I know, like, there was a lot of people on Twitter that were like, oh, stop sounding the alarms. Like, this is part of his plan. Number one, I, it doesn't it wasn't comfortable with me that it was announced this late if this was an actual plan. Uh, yeah. Number two, and this to me is the most important thing, I was very, it, it was ominous, it was very dark, John Dorsey's statement. It was, we will continue to support Josh as he receives the care needed to maintain his progress. We're going to respect his privacy while he's away from the team. Josh will be placed on the non-football illness reserve list until he is ready to return. That just left me sitting here like, okay, so is this a guy that we still can't rely on? And just to clarify, I'm rooting for Josh Gordon. If he needs more time and more help, that's completely fine, and that's great. I'm On a flip side, I'm super happy to see Randy Gregory back in the league because I know he's been working really hard at getting back in. Yeah, It's just, it was a slight, it was slightly concerning to me. That's all I'll say, and I hope that this is the last of it being a little bit, you know, us being cautious about it. Well, and I've said before, and I am a huge Josh Gordon fan. I think he's one of the most talented receivers in the game when he's on the field. But I mean, we are talking about a guy who, you know, 
didn't play in 2015 or 2016, only played five games last year, and I think only played five games in 2014. So we've barely seen him on the field, and he's been in the league since 2012. So I, I think you're right to be concerned, and one thing we try to do on this show is come at it from not only the fan perspective, but the team perspective. And, you know, like this is a, a touchy business because, it, I mean, you're talking about substance abuse and you're talking about, you know, all these issues that I mean, we're not him. We don't know what he's going through. Exactly. So it's, it's hard to make a judgment call. But one thing I did here yesterday, and I'm always like timid about sharing, you know, insider news, especially when it comes to like injuries and stuff. One thing I did here was that the from a Browns player, they thought it wasn't related to anything like to do with the alcohol or weed stuff he's had a problem with in the past, that it was more like some anxiety and maybe some depression okay. type stuff. So it might okay. be more mental health than substance abuse. But like we always say on the Friday show, we're not trained professionals. So exactly. Yeah, who knows? I, yeah, exactly. We're rooting for Josh Gordon, and I, I hope to see him on the football field this year. I expect to see him on the football field this year. It, that's what it comes down to. And same for Randy Gregory. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And yeah, like you said, good for Randy Gregory. He's back. And, and it, it, a guy who, God, worked so hard to get to this point. So Josh Gordon's not at camp. Neither is Julio Jones. I mean, there's some other guys holding out. Aaron Donald, Khalil Mack. We knew that was going to happen. Julio, this stuff started back around the draft when he took everything Atlanta Falcons related off his bio. And now he's holding out. He might be taking everything Atlanta Falcons out of his life because he wants a new deal. They say no. And I, I can see both sides of it. They're going to say, hey, you signed this deal and you have to honor it. There's still like three years left. And he's got to be saying, hey, man, like Sammy Watkins makes more money than me. That's a problem. And I think that's the big deal coming from the Falcons side of things. Like he still has three years left on that deal. But now he wants an extension. I think he only signed like a five year deal and he's played two years of it. So it's it's almost kind of shitty to come at a team so early when it wasn't like he was a nobody when he signed that extension. He was probably still a top five receiver in the league when he signed that extension. It's just you see other guys getting money, and I think that's what he's going after. Yeah, I, I am 9 million percent on the Julio Jones side of this, only because you look at the money Matt Ryan just got, right? Matt Ryan signed a five-year, $150 million contract, and you know pretty close to $100 million of that being guaranteed. I believe it's 94.5 is guaranteed. You can make an argument that Julio Jones played a gigantic part in getting Matt Ryan that money. And Julio Jones is sitting there saying, okay, well, I'm making barely even a fraction of that. Uh, you know, show me the love. I'm 29. I've been the focal point of this offense for quite some time. He's the guy that keeps, you know, defensive coordinators up at night, not Matt Ryan. I think Matt Ryan's a good quarterback. I think Julio Jones is a superstar wide receiver. And if I was him, I, I wouldn't be showing up either. He's Rod Tidwelling. <laughs> yeah, so, show me the money. Yeah, right. He goes over the middle. He takes the top off the defense. Yeah. The guy does everything. I told you guys in our group text uh, before we recorded this on Tuesday morning. The the way to do this, the way to get around this, and I think Aaron Rodgers needs to do it. I think Aaron Donald, Julio Jones. If you're one of the top two or three players at your position, you need to have your agent tell the team, "I want my salary to be a percent of the salary cap, and as the cap goes up, my Income goes up. So if you're Aaron Rodgers, you say, you know what, guys? Now, what's the cap at? $187 million? I want 10% of the salary cap every year. That's what I want. He's worth it's it. It's got to be a quarterback to do it. Right. And that's first. why I think Aaron Rodgers is the guy that could do it. 
The, I agree. Like Spot that on. would almost work for everyone, though. Even it not would. your big guys. Like, oh, I want one percent of that. Okay. And then just every year, same cap hit. Yeah. You know what you're getting. Money's I don't know taken why we haven't gone that direction because it it. Well, I know why because owners are greedy mfers. So yeah, it guarantees the players a raise. <laughs> yeah, which is fair, and if it's a fair raise, I mean. You're, we all work, you yeah. know, everybody works here. That if, when they stay within a company, you expect a raise at the end of your calendar year. Uh, why shouldn't athletes expect the same? And uh, a pay that is commensurate with the market value. If the salary cap goes up, that money should, uh, why not just redistribute it immediately to the players? I don't know. I like it's, to, I, I don't know. It I, sounds good I'll to say me. This, I'll say this for Julio Jones. He's done nothing but the right things on and off the field his entire time in Atlanta. And Yeah, that's true. I just, I just think if we're going to sit here and say, you know, Odell Beckham hopefully is going to get 18 to $20 million a year in the future. I mean, you can't sit here and tell me a 29-year-old Julio Jones doesn't deserve to be paid more than $10.5 right now. It's just, you can't. Yeah, no, you're absolutely right, man. And that's a, that's... You know, Julio's sitting here thinking the same thing. Like, how is this real? I hope he ends up a Niner at the end of the whole thing. That's my hope. That would be incredible. Speaking of those Oh, I was, that was, I was going there. Do it. (laughs) Jimmy G says he's better than Tom Brady. And then I love that you put in parentheses, kind of. Dude, people. Jimmy G's, yes. They blew this out of proportion. Shockingly. It's one of these things. Whoa. Yo, I've been guilty of it too. It's this. Facebook, Twitter era we live in, you read a headline and then you've just become exasperated by it and you have to burn down the village before you realize that, hey, he didn't really say he was better. He got, and it was from our dude, June Lee, uh, wrote this great piece yeah, on Jimmy stories G. Stories from BR, we're not biased right. here. It's a great <laughs> story. He asked him a couple of times, like, are you better than Brady? And he kind of, oh, you know, you got to think you're the best. And then he's like, it was like a few good men. No, no, no. Did you order the code red? <laughs> and he's like, of course I did. And then he finally pushes him, you know, are you better than Brady? And he does. The, You're damn right I am. Yeah. It's like, yeah. So it's like, and it, it became this huge deal. And poor Jimmy, you know, he just, guy can't get football out of the spotlight. Needs to start. And listen, I love football media. I've been a part of it for a long time. We're all crazy, but it's hilarious now that there's the, not only is he dating a porn star, he thinks he's better than Tom Brady. Every yeah. player in the NFL thinks they are the best player at their position. You have to. Yeah, or go back and look at draft, like the draft. Yes. Everybody says, you know what? I'm the best quarterback out here. Danny Etling was sitting there saying, <laughs> I'm the best quarterback out here. You I should be taken first overall. Yeah, you don't want them to say any different. Yeah, That's what are so they supposed to do? To it's like, I no, know. actually, you should probably take this other guy. He's a lot better Could than Could you me. imagine if Garoppolo had said, you know what? I learned a lot from Tom. I'm never going to be as good as him. Yeah, I mean, people would be sound like, sound the alarms. Yes, exactly. <laughs> the I mean, actual football people would go off, be like, oh my gosh, this guy has no self confidence. Right. People are just going to blitz the hell out of him, thinking he's weak. Yep. Oh, you're you're absolutely right. So I can't wait for football to start. Ooh, this is our last week without any football, boys. Uh, and then it feels feels real good. It does. Uh, so it'll be great. One last story from around the league, and I want to talk about this because it does relate to college football. And I've I've said for weeks now we're going to be transitioning, including a lot more college football, probably a little bit more on the Friday show. But this is a story that I cannot believe has never happened to me personally. <laughs> An Iowa defensive lineman, Brett Reef, uh, is out drinking Friday night, partying with the boys. He does the responsible thing. He calls an Uber. He walks outside, and he gets in the back of a cop car thinking it was an Uber. And they arrested him. 
I think like one of the best parts I thought uh, I read on this story is the cops asking him like, what are you doing? And he just goes, I thought that was your job. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I can't imagine how that yeah. came across. Like telling was a cop. Was it unmarked? Like, oh. I, I don't see. There were that, details missing from this story that I need to know. He blew a point two oh four, Which is impressive. It's impressive. <laughs> we have a God, breathalyzer right. here. It, it probably wasn't even unmarked. It's we probably do just have, a normal We have a breathalyzer in the office. The highest I've seen it is point one eight. Yeah. I mean... 204. You're not even, like, aware of anything going on at that point. <laughs> Especially... I mean, he's a defensive lineman. To get a he's guy a that... Size, he he had to, like, just finished off his beer and walked outside and tried to yeah. get Because that I, is a high number. Yeah. Yeah. You gotta I, eat. <laughs> eat while you drink, man. I mean, I'll say this. When I... I mean, I avoid the police when I'm <laughs> drunk. So, like... I don't really know what, I guess he really just had no idea that there was even a slight chance it was the cops because it's, that's the last place I'd want to It's kind of shitty in. he got arrested for I it though. So like he's I know. trying I to do the right just, thing, calling Uber, if, just take him home or, you know, wait yes, it out. If he wa- yes, if he wasn't disorderly, just, was it in Iowa? Where did it, the yeah, arrest Yeah, it was happen? in Iowa City, I think. I mean... I don't know. I man. bet I'm you not 20, get, yeah. 20 other people left that same bar and probably drove home or rode with someone drunk. And they're going to arrest the college student who's just trying to get back home. His heart Uber. was in the right place. Yeah, he was just trying to get home. Well, let him go. And not, not drive. Yeah. I don't know. That's, that's a tough gig. And he got suspended. Yeah. Oh. For the opener, which is tough. That's, yeah. So he blew a point two oh four. And then they did a post arrest, so he had time to calm down, and it was point one nine one. Damn. So <laughs> now he oh was God. tanked. There's no. And I'm sorry, I said Brady. It's slowly. It's Brady Reef. And okay, Brady, you come on the podcast anytime you want, buddy. Yeah, we'll let you tell your side of the story, and I'm gonna side with you. All right, we are back, and it's time to preview the trenches, like we do every week as we lead up to the college football season. This week, it's O line and D line. I have the Pac-12, Mountain West, Mello has the Big Ten, Big 12, Connor has ACC, SEC. Because we're doing O-line, D-line, this is mostly your guys' show this week because, ugh, well, I got top-end talent. For top-end talent, <laughs> we definitely dominate. I'll start it off. Uh, yeah. The team that I obviously had to start with is Wisconsin, and I have three guys on this list, and that's because I wanted to limit it to five guys overall. Three of their guys made my top five overall with David Edwards, Michael Dieter, and their other guard whose name I cannot say. Bo. Bobby. Yeah. And then they also have two other guys. Their whole offensive line is set this year. I cannot wait to watch them play because they dominated teams last year, and now they're all coming back together this year. It's going to be really exciting to watch them and what they can do. David Edwards looks like he is Probably like number four tackle right yeah. now, realistically, maybe number five. But he's still a junior, so we'll see what he can do this year. And then also out of Ohio State, Michael Jordan. Anytime you see that name, you got to scout him. <laughs> he's a guy who's played all over their offensive line, too. Left guard, right guard. He's played some tackle. Very athletic, tall, lengthy guy. And then also Dalton Reisner out of K-State. He literally plays everywhere. Yeah. I don't even know what to call him. He's a guard. He's a tackle. He's a center. He can do everything. And he's a Bill Snyder guy, so you know he's going to be tough. And a lot of your guys, I mean, Michael Dieter, uh, Dalton Risner, especially, are guys that play tackle in college, but are most likely going to be guards. And I think I actually yeah. read that Dieter's going to kick inside to guard this year um, and, and finish out his career there at Wisconsin. Uh, Wisconsin has five offensive linemen that will are all draft eligible and will all be drafted. Yeah, they're That's centers. They are. Their center's awesome, Same. too. He's just a redshirt sophomore, so yep. I don't think he's going to come out. 
It's it's this is a pretty face value. This is an impressive offensive line group. I mean, obviously, like we said, I have the SEC and the ACC. You could just sit here and say you look at the Georgia offensive line and the whole group is incredible. <laughs> yeah. I, I love the center, uh, Lamont Galliard. He's a redshirt senior, I believe. He, he's somebody to really keep an eye on. But just want to get off the top. I love that group. Individual players, players we've already discussed. Jonah Williams from Alabama looks like a franchise tackle. He started out on the right side when he was a freshman. He held down the left side last year. He's going to hold down the left side again. I love everything about the player, whether it's in pass protection, whether it's as a run blocker, as a leader, um, his durability and his experience. Greg Little from Ole Miss is a really interesting name. I've actually seen him ahead of Williams at times because people like his size and athleticism was a little underwhelmed with the hand usage. There was times where I just thought for such a big, strong, powerful guy, kind of soft hands. But once again, another young player that has the makings of a franchise tackle and can definitely go in the first round if all goes right for him this year. Mitch Hyatt from Clemson. Uh, I couldn't even say this guy's first name, but Froholt from Arkansas, another really top-notch player. And Martez Ivy, the guard from Florida. This group is just so impressive across the board, and it's nice that we're actually going to have true franchise tackles in this class this year. Yeah, and I've seen Martez Ivy getting talk about maybe he's a tackle in the league, so there's some versatility there. I, I think the Greg Little talk, it, it, he's going to be an interesting guy to watch, and not to to hedge on any of his ability uh, or you know to walk back any of the, the hype, but I do want to see it a recruiting. little more. Yeah, and I, I just want to see a little more flexibility a little more agility. I think he might be a guy that we start talking about as a right tackle down the line, not so much a left tackle, but Jonah Williams is close to just perfect at the position. I love him. So yeah, absolutely love, him. love his play. Uh, like I said, I have the pac 12 and Trey Adams is the guy out there. You know, I tweeted it Tuesday morning. Uh, when you, you look at him, I see a lot of Taylor Lewan. He's big physical in the run game. He's nasty at the point of attack. Uh, and then on the other side there, Washington, they have Caleb McGarry, a right tackle who is a pro prospect as well. Stanford's got a couple guys, as always, Nate Herbing and Brandon Fineka, Daniel Cooney down at San Diego, and then Stanford also has Walker Little. So Stanford has three guys that we watch in. Maybe the second or third best O-line unit behind, obviously, Wisconsin and then Georgia. I think Stanford, they're always up there, but they're up there again this year. And then D-line, uh, I... I almost had nothing. I threw in Jerry Tillery from Notre Dame because I had no one. Well, then we should let you talk about Ed Oliver. <laughs> oh, oh, geez. Yeah, let me take Ed Oliver. Please. He's he's done, man. He's There's nothing more to say. Right? It's over. He's that good. He's going to be one of the top three that's picks a, yeah, in the draft. the top three picks. Because it doesn't matter what scheme you run. He fits it. Right. He's like Aaron Donald. It doesn't matter. He can play the three tech. He can play outside at five. He could play nose tackle if you wanted to. And we've even seen him used as a stand-up rusher this offseason right. that he's working in. And so anywhere. He's Aaron Donald, but he's 6'3". So like the only knock on Aaron Donald was that he's a little short. Nah, Ed Oliver is legit. I mean, he's like in Dominican Sue size with Aaron Donald's quickness. And <laughs> it's, it's just it's not fair. Like if I could build the perfect defense interior pass rusher, it's him. And you could get into a great bar fight with NFL coaches and GMs about would you rather have interior pressure or outside pressure? Because Nick Bosa is going to be the outside pressure guy. I think a lot of times I'd rather have interior. I think that's harder to get away from. Ed Oliver I think it's is harder to special. find too. It is yeah. on the interior. Guys like I, it's rare. Yeah, like You're Warren right. Sapp. You see what he was able to do, and I hate him, but man, that dude could just disrupt offenses right there from the middle and he could get sacks. It's just, it's hard to find those guys. It's not that you can't do it. It's just hard to find them. 
Yeah. Uh, I also I think, yeah, I think Aaron Donald's the most disruptive defensive player in football. I'm too. with you. I'm absolutely with yeah. you. Um, uh, other guys I had, Greg Gaines at Washington is someone I'm going to be very interested to watch this year. Christian Rector at USC, briefly mentioned Jerry Tillery at Notre Dame, another guy who was a big recruit, really excited to see if he can turn it on. Then a small school guy, Kalen Saunders from Western Illinois. Uh, I've only seen about a game and a half of his so far, but really intrigued by his ability as a penetrator. There's just something about Greg Gaines that looks like he wears like overalls on the weekends <laughs> and just like he like takes farming up as a hobby. I, I think he's got that aesthetic, but um, I do like him as a run stopper. So I, obviously I kind of was spoiled here. I still can't believe you guys gave me the SEC and ACC. I don't know how that happened. We <laughs> just wanted you to do all the work. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I mean, but there's no work to be done. I watched I, yesterday because, like I said, I've only been back a couple days. And yesterday is a refresher. I watched three Clemson games of, of coaches film. And it's a joke. It's an absolute joke. I mean, it, we were talking earlier how Dexter Lawrence does have some proving left to do to, you know, he lived up. He was one of those guys that, Hey, maybe future number one overall pick. And I still think he sits pretty firmly in the top 15 easily. One-on-one, the guy is a nightmare because Christian Wilkins is so good next to him that he gets one-on-one opportunities and it's just ridiculous. And we're not going to talk about the edge class today. We're going to save that for its own show. So I don't want to get into Cleveland Farrell and Austin Bryant, but Lawrence and Wilkins on the inside is as dominant as I've seen in college football in a couple of years. Richard Lawrence from LSU is another guy that's going to be a lot of fun to watch this year. Raquan Davis from Alabama and Jeffrey Simmons from Mississippi State. And I mean, I know a lot of those guys, they just name are SEC guys outside of the Clemson group. But these were just the the five names that I've seen so far and all have checked the boxes. I mean, all look like top 50 talents to me. And I just think this is a trenches heavy class. I know it's early on, but the 2019 draft. You look at the talent available on both sides of the ball in the trenches, and it stands out. I have a hot take. I don't know if you guys are ready for it. I am. I think Raekwon Davis is better than Dexter Lawrence or Christian Wilkins as a pro prospect. I like the take. I don't know if I agree with it yet, but I, I don't think it's. I don't think it's crazy at all. I, Christian Wilkins is one of those dudes that's gonna. You're, we're gonna look at him and be like, "Holy shit, this guy produced for like three, four years in college, and he's gonna be a second round pick because he's not gonna hit yeah, the measurables." Him and he. Might end up being a really good pro player, but I don't think he's a first-round pick. Dexter Lawrence is, I mean, we've we've seen guys like him before that are just, you know, physically dominant. I mean, Vita Vea it, last year is a great example of it. He did end up going pretty high, but, man, I I think with Dexter Lawrence, and, and I think you were kind of getting to this, Connor, it's so hard to scout those guys based on production because, like you said, it's not fair. They have four elite defensive linemen. No one can match up with that. I would love to see Clemson play Wisconsin. Yeah. Here's the perfect way to put it in perspective. Yesterday, I turned on the Syracuse game because it was the game in the box score, box score that Cleveland Farrell, and they lost this game, by the way, to Syracuse. Cleveland Farrell had three and a half sacks. And I go, okay, I've seen him quarterback hits, pressures, good bend off the edge. I like the player. And then you watch the sacks, and two and a half of them, he's not touched because the other guys are so dominant and demand so much control and it's not Cleon Farrell's fault. I want him to register those box score stats, but it just goes to show you how much the production gets passed around because that unit is so, so damn good on their own. It's like NC State last year had all those guys. Yep. Clemson is even more set going yep. into next year and even Ohio State too because you look at my list here. Obviously, I'm going with Rashawn Gary. I don't know if you guys have had the chance to watch All or, all or Nothing with Michigan. 
This dude is so mature already. This weekend, I binge-watched Last Chance You and All or Nothing with Michigan. He's so much different than any of those guys you see from Last Chance You. And he's a true sophomore when they aired this. He's just ready to go. He has his mindset on football afterwards anyway. He's working his ass off. He's a leader in that Michigan locker room as a true for, as a true sophomore. Coming in telling guys like Mo Hurst, you know, leading them and doing what he can. He's very impressive. I think he's a, probably a three-tech even though they play him at the end. We get that question a lot. But yeah. he's going to dominate anywhere anywhere. I'll, I like I want to see what they do with him this year because last year that defensive line was so set they had players all over that I think they just wanted to play him at DN just trying to get their four best guys on the field. I wouldn't be surprised if he actually does kick in this year and play more D tackle at Michigan, but he's going to dominate anywhere on the field. Also at Ohio State, I went with Draymond Jones. He's a guy that we really thought was going to come out yeah. last year, and he didn't. He comes back for his senior year. He's going to be. Ta- teamed up with Nick Bosa. So those two are going to dominate Big Ten teams. And then I also uh, had a little hiccup because I still think Mizzou's a Big 12 team. So I put Terry <laughs> Beckner Jr. in there, uh, even though they are SEC. I'm going uh, to that into your territory. It just hit me like, oh, Mizzou is not in the Big 12 anymore. It should be. It's stupid there in the SEC. Draymond Jones is interesting. And Connor and I actually went to Rutgers last year, we've said a million times, to scout Ohio State. And he didn't play because... He had that like weird incident where he cut his leg in the shower and then they like, didn't play. And then he was out like for two weeks off of it. And those numbers might be off, but he was definitely after the Rutgers game. <laughs> it was still 28 nothing after the first quarter. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That game was embarrassing, but I-, I am excited to see him back. And I'm with you on the Rashawn Gary talk. I do think he's a three tech, but. Uh, I love that he's just versatile enough to just go be an athlete. I mean, he's already 280 pounds at six foot five. I think his body is going to keep growing. I don't think he's done yet. I think he's a 300 pound NFL player. Another Ohio State was, guy. Yeah. For I, next week, Ohio State Chase Young. We had to we had to talk about. Him. He's young. Is he draft eligible yet? I don't though? think so, but he's good. He might be a redshirt sophomore. Yeah. I, I was telling you guys, I was next to Rayshon Gary on the Newark Airport security line like a couple months ago. I think it was Newark. I forget what airport I was flying out of, and he is not defensive end size he is oh, he's a massive massive i mean man. monster he looks like a defensive tackle so they can keep playing him on the edge he's explosive but i i fully agree with you i think he's going to play on the inside at the next level welcome back it's time for draft on draft and this week uh, i went heavy on reddit questions because i'm really happy with how quickly that community's grown you guys have been great there uh, definitely check that out even if you're not a, like normally a reddit person and you're like hey, it's for nerds I mean, this is fake football, so it doesn't get much nerdy. <laughs> fake drafts. That. That's so, what we're working fake for. Fake drafts. So hop on over there. Check it out. It's a great way to interact with us. You can, stay, you can stay interacting on Twitter and Instagram. Uh, we'd love to hear from you guys on all those uh, different channels and platforms. Uh, but let's kick it off. First question from CSoltis77 over on Reddit. When the media says sources tell them something, what do those sources have to gain and why do they tell media people these things? So I actually get this question a lot. And I think the best way to describe it is like if if Mello or Connor uh, came across some information, right? it doesn't have to be football related. Just if you knew that there was a tornado that was going to hit Joplin, you would both probably text me and tell me because I live here and that information's important to me. It's the same way with scouts. Like you become friends with these people. So when they have information that they can tell you, they will. It's just... 
it's not like this, you know, Watergate type thing where we're passing envelopes to each other and, you know, uh, behind mailboxes. It's just you you become friends and you build relationships so that you're comfortable and, and you can have a conversation and say, hey, what do you think about this guy? And I think one thing that, that we all have to do a better job of remembering is just like this might be my opinion or Mello's opinion or Connor's opinion, a scout's opinion is just a scout's opinion. It doesn't always carry a whole lot of water. It could be wrong. <clears throat> Excuse me. So I think that's why they tell you these things. Sometimes it's a trade of information. It really is. But more often than not, it's just because you have a friendship and they want to tell you to help you out. Yeah. And, and a lot of the times, too, it can be just making sure they're controlling the narrative to making sure it's it's going their way. And it doesn't mean it's false. Right. It's just controlling the story of why they did it. So it, there's a lot of reasons. And I thought your answer was really detailed and truthful. It's it, it's not. And I know a lot of people react really negatively to the word sources, but you can't come at people aren't making things up and you but you can't come out and give away your source. So you never get yep. the info ever again. And there are people making things up. But yes, that's true. I, I do drawing it all the time. Conclusions. I don't have any sources. Just all bullshit yeah. spews from this mouth. Just I, throwing darts sometimes. But no, I mean, there you definitely see tweets where you're. I mean, Connor and I have had a many a laugh because we see something and know it's not, like we've heard from someone with a team that it's the complete yeah, opposite. Yeah. And you're like, oh, we'll wow. be sitting there eating or drinking and we'll be like, oh, that's not true. Yeah, nope, <laughs> nope. That's probably my favorite game. That's not true. It is a lot of fun. All right. This next one from sports underscore fiend from Reddit. Love the Reddit community already. In respect to Connor's Euro excursion. What was your favorite moment from the trip across the pond and which place you visited would you want to have a 2019 NFL draft party at? Wow, that's a good one. I, you know, it's hard to say a favorite because all the cities are really different. Amsterdam is the most fun. If you just want to have fun, go to Amsterdam. I don't need to say anything else. If you're looking for history and just relaxing and really great food, I thought Paris was absolutely incredible and it was still fun. The 2019 NFL draft party. I mean, you could have a damn good draft party in Amsterdam if you have the clientele. I didn't think anyone there liked American football. Uh, France, on the other hand, they do. I saw a guy climbing a light pole in a Matt Forte jersey when they won the World Cup. <laughs> wow. There's NFL fans Bears there. or Jets? Uh, Bears. And there's a big contingent of Patriot fans in Paris. So... Take that for what what you will. It's probably because I mean, they sided with us in the Revolutionary War, so they're like <laughs> they are patriots. Or because you know. they won the Super Bowl like literally half of the last decade. That helps too. Yep. <laughs> All right. Next question. That's a great one. Love that one. <clears throat> this one definitely plays into our community. Magaluza wants to know who is the Scranton Strangler. I personally have strong feelings of Toby. If you have not watched The Office. The American version, the better version. That's what this is about. Mellow, who is the Scranton Strangler? It, it is Toby. Like, all signs point to him, and you can find this shit on Reddit and just get deep into it. The dude takes a leave of absence <laughs> when all the stranglings are going on. And then he comes back, and he's on the jury, and he keeps saying, like, we convicted the wrong guy. I don't feel yeah. good with this. We convicted the wrong guy. And that's just his own guilty conscience because he is the Scranton Strangler. So my take, it's Michael. I just don't like Michael, so <laughs> we won't even. My get take into is, that. I think it's about time Connor watches The Office. Yes, oh, because yeah. I I feel so lost all the time. You have one week before you get out here to watch it. 
You can skip I, some of the late seasons. So that's what everyone says. I, I'm gonna just do it because they're like 30 minute episodes, right? Yeah, yeah. 22. Take out that commercial. Oh, 22. So. Beautiful. I'll just. All right. All right. I I owe it to you guys before my visit to at least watch like two seasons. Oh, yeah. those are the best. Like the second season is the best season. All and right, it will make done. sense to you because I want to do the stickies where we give awards away. So okay. yeah, now you'll get it. You'll get <laughs> it after love that. that. I do love that. All right. Next up, Joe G413352. What should I expect out of Sidney Jones in his first full year with the Eagles? What did you consider his strengths and weaknesses to be coming out? Connor, I think he was your top corner. Is that right? He was. Yeah, yeah. he was. Um, man. So... I wouldn't expect him to start on the outside this year because the Eagles are very, very happy, obviously, with having, you know, Jalen Mills is there. Ronald Darby is there. I think Sidney Jones can play in the slot a ton this year. I mean, they and they have Rasul Douglas. They drafted Avante Maddox as a backup, but Jones is going to play 60 percent of the snaps this year. And I thought he's physical at the line of scrimmage. I thought he has really, really fluid hips and he can mirror and match receivers I love the way he plays the ball in the air. I think my biggest question for, you know, weaknesses wise is, is he going to come back and be the same athlete, elite athlete that he was, you know, coming off the injury. And I like that they didn't rush him because that gives him a way better chance of being that guy. But I think Sidney Jones is going to be a star, you know, a star corner this year. And I think it's going to be interesting because that'll, you know, maybe affect their decision long-term with Ronald Darby if they need to pay him big money or not. Yeah, and I think with Jones, I'm looking back at my notes from the 2017 draft. I mean, I had a 699 on him, which just means you're going to be a late first round pick. Um, my notes were, you know, very good technique, physical at the line of scrimmage, can, you know, flip and has the speed to mirror. I think my two questions were he was light. He was only 181 pounds, if I remember right. Yes. Small frame. He tore his Achilles at his pro day. So that's April. So he's going to be, you know, a year and four months out. But an Achilles is so much different than a knee and and I think just like kind of like you said is he gonna be timid when we see that change of direction those transitions is he gonna have the confidence to stick his foot in the dirt and plant and change uh, to especially to get to all the crossing routes we see so it's more of just a let's just see how much he trusts himself I think with injuries you know I don't have stats to back this up but I think most of your recovery is just mental oh I I've had a ton of knee injuries and I will tell you that at least 75% of it is mental. What are you comfortable with? Because your mind will tell you, oh, I, I can't do this anymore, or this is going to hurt if I do this. And it's a slow process. So I, I think even though it's not a knee, it's an Achilles with him, it is. It's all going to be how well he recovers from it mentally. Because doctors are great. Modern science, you're all set to go. It's whether you can come back from it mentally. I had heard what the problem was at that pro day is that, you know, he played that season around 180. And then at the pro day, he had bulked up to a little over 190 or around there. And oh, really, when you're moving that quickly at that weight, it can lead to injury. And I'm not saying that's the direct, you know, cause and effect of the situation, but I it goes back to your point, Matt. It was the small frame was a concern, and I think he heard those concerns and he put in a ton of work to put on the weight before his workout, and it might have affected his health. So maybe he comes back and plays at his normal weight. Yeah, yeah, especially if he's going to play more inside. Uh, Patrick Chamberlain sent these over on Reddit. It's two questions, uh, so we'll attack them both. Who's a 2018 draft pick from the later rounds, say rounds four through seven, who you guys think will make an immediate noticeable impact this year? That's the first question. Second one, any chance Sam Beal edges out Eli Apple for the Giants' number two corner spot 
before the year is through. Uh, kind of while you guys think about that first one, uh, you know, trying to remember who the day three picks were last year and who could make an impact. I, I think on the Sam Beal talk, it's very important to remember that this is a dude who was drafted in the middle of July. And that's, there might not be, oh, other guys are drafted end of April. What's the difference? Just mentally being prepared. So he's already three months behind everyone else. So I don't know that expecting him to come in and be the number two guy by the end of the year is realistic. It would be great. But one thing that I heard over and over again, uh, I did a big feature on Sam Beal that ran the day of the supplemental draft, talked to a ton of guys who actually went to Western Michigan and talked to his coaches and teammates uh, and, and tried to figure out who he is as a person. One thing I heard a ton of was that he needs reps. He's not going to be a guy who's just instinctively you could throw him out there and he's going to be like Marshawn Lattimore just where you're like, yep. oh, damn, this guy was born to play football. He's going to need the reps to acclimate, and I just don't know how you're going to get that in season. You needed those during rookie camp and over the summer where you could be training. So I, I think that puts him in a tough spot where not to say it's a red shirt year, but and it's just not going to be instant impact. So it's going to be a slow start for sure. Yeah. Yeah, it should be. So on Back to the to next that, one. Yeah. The first question. Yeah. So I, I have a handful of names that have to do with the recent news. I think the door is open for Braxton Berrios to get snaps in Your New dude. England. <laughs> that is my dude. I think the door is wide open. I think this is like the blinds leading the blind, unfortunately, but Antonio Callaway can get on the field for the Browns. Yeah. If, Josh if, he, can stay, if he could stay on the field, he can definitely, I mean, he's so, so talented. And I think that Chris Herndon is going to start at tight end for the Jets. So I, th- I think those one. are three. They're all skill players, but I think all three of them can actually get targets this year. Yeah. So I'm going to be uh, I'm going to be that awful guy who mentions his girlfriend on a podcast. But someone asked her on in- on my Instagram who her sleeper was uh, for this year. And she said Deshaun Hamilton. And I actually Great agree. Answer. Right. So <laughs> totally agree. Mello is showing me his That's laptop. Fucking guy. He had Deshaun Hamilton pulled up. Oh, <laughs> I wanted to make sure it wow. was a fourth round. That's hilarious. So That's I don't know up. where she got that information. She <laughs> said she, me. Mello. She, she said she like took like the morning off at work. And I think her boss listens to this. So sorry. But and like researched and was like, OK, this is my pick. And Deshaun liked it on Instagram. So Deshaun yeah. is, is definitely one of them. I still think Dorrance Armstrong, the Cowboys, picked him up in the fourth round. I still think the dude has talent. And they have a lot of guys at DNs right now, but I wouldn't be shocked if he finds a way onto the field. Uh, and then one more, Armani Watts, safety for the Chiefs. Another oh, one of those yeah. guys. He, he did get hurt, though, yesterday oh, in training camp. He got hurt so yesterday. Be big, yeah. I saw BJ put that out yesterday that he hurt his ankle. Ah, it could shit. be something minor. Hopefully it is, because I yeah. did love Armani Watts, and I think he could be an instant impact at free safety, especially with Eric Berry coming back. He's a guy that can roam over the top of that defense, and which is exactly what they need. And back to Deshaun Hamilton, he was the best route runner I saw last year out of that class. When we got to Mobile and watched him run routes, it was amazing. So I think he's already a step ahead because he's going to come into practice and he's already showing these coaches he can do it. Put him in the slot. They have some openings there at receiver, so I think he can dominate there. The, the, I'm looking at the fourth and fifth round. There's so many good players that were drafted in the it fourth really and fifth was. round. Man. Oh, that you know really well. a guy who, <clears throat> excuse me, a fifth round pick who could be a pro bowler? Michael Dixon. 
the punter for the Seahawks. Oh. <laughs> yeah. The MVP of the Yo, Texas Bowl. Punter pick. <laughs> Speaking of instant impact, yeah, like, there you they, go. No bigger yeah. instant impact. Jalen Samuel. Smart, smart choice. <laughs> smart yeah. choice. All right. This next one from Works of Zamandius from Reddit. Recently, new positions have evolved in the NFL from the creation of a true edge, the money backer, or the move tight end. What does the podcast think the next new position will be? Um, so mine, oh, oh mine's easy. No, no, <clears throat> I think okay. we'll see more situational interior pass rushers, like just athletes who they might be 270, 275, and you're like, this guy is going to get washed out against the run. I, I think we could see more of a like a third down. And we've seen some of it, you know, with NASCAR packages and things like that, but could totally see it. I'm still hoping that power football is making a comeback. So I'm going to say fullback nice too. Just because I said it like years ago with all the all the running backs coming up through the NFL, eventually teams are going to swing back and we're going to get back to power football. And I still think that's coming. Like teams are going to look to overcompensate for quarterbacks that they can't develop because of the spread offense in college. They're just going to go back to power run. I think the Giants will this year. We will see a lot of just Saquon Barkley getting 25 touches a game. I'd be all about that. I mean, the Jets have my boy, yeah. Dimitri Flowers. I'd just go eye back. Yeah. All the time. Yeah. Or split let back him, out of the shotgun. I love that. Let him block, use him as a pass catcher. Speaking of Barkley, I think he's going to kind of bring this wave of, uh, and Christian McCaffrey did this, Darren Sproles did this, you know, even Dexter McCluster, guys that can play at running back, but also will get motioned out to the slot and be a slot receiver. I think that's going to be really vital at the running back position now. And, and I think, um, you know, as these pass-happy offenses look for versatility, I, I just think that running backs are going to ask to play a lot of receiver now, too. Yeah. He's going to make he's going to be a matchup nightmare if you split him out wide, because you can put a corner on him, but if he catches the ball, a corner's not tackling him. Ex- exactly, just quit you know, throw him the ball. Linebackers are not keeping up with him. Yeah, yeah, it's perfect mismatch. And it is always going to be interesting. Back to Melo's power football talk, like defenses keep getting smaller. And we were just talking about Michigan uh, with their 200-pound linebackers. Why would you not just smash the ball? So we'll see. You know what's it's crazy, too. So not to get too off topic here, but to your point about smaller defenses, I was on um, Lockdown NFL Draft with John Ledyard and uh, Trevor Sikama the other night, and we previewed a couple of the linebackers in this class, and they're all like 6'1", 6 feet tall, 5'11", 225, 230 pounds at most. And that's their listing. And it's just insane. When, and I mean, don't get me wrong. They're good players. But the days of the, you know, six foot three, 250 pound middle backers just seem to have gone by us. Yeah. And speaking of now would be a good time to tell you that next week, Devin White, the LSU linebacker, will be on stick <laughs> football. So, oh, love that. Yeah. And he's a bad MFR. Awesome. So, yeah, he is. I don't care that he's. Six foot, two hundred thirty pounds. He's bigger than that now. Yeah, but he's probably six one, like two thirty. But yeah, yeah, that's a big bad dude. Uh, all right, one more or two more. My bad. Uh, CJL ten fifteen. In our opinions, which division is the weakest at each position group? And I commented on Reddit and t- like this is a whole article. Like this is a hard thing Whoa, to break down yeah. in a in a, a forty five <laughs> second one? answer. So yeah, I think you could pick one. Mello and I were talking about it before. Just which division has the weakest quarterbacks? I'm going AFC South, and I know that we have some Colts listeners. 
But even if you take Andrew Luck out of that equation. <laughs> he loves doing that. <laughs> yeah. But you have guys like Mariota, who's good and he looks promising, but he, he still hasn't like hit that mark of being like a franchise quarterback. Who else you got in that division? You got Blake Bortles, who everyone hates. I actually kind of love him. And then you also have Deshaun Watson. So who knows what he's going to do this year? He played six games last year, and it looked great. But now people have film on him, on him, and we'll see how he can adjust, how that offense can adjust. It's going to be a whole different ballgame. Yeah, I, I would agree with you. I think it is that I said jokingly, I was like AFC West. Um, but it is probably AFC South. I mean, AFC West, Rivers is getting older. Mm-hmm. I still don't know. Like Mahomes, I, I love the guy, and he's listening to this. Man, the Brett Favre comparisons are scaring the shit out of me because it's like, ooh, let's let him play yeah, a little bit. Play. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just let, let, let him play, play a little bit, right? So I love that. I mean, the Broncos, I mean, come on. You got a dude who's played had one good year in his entire career, and you're betting on him to come out and be the guy. I, mean, I, I just don't know that that's a smart move where he's had – he had literally one good year, Case Keenum did, with the greatest defense in the NFL helping him out. And some pretty good receivers. Yeah, two really good receivers, a Pro Bowl tight end. And I also like Derek Carr, but what is John Gruden going to be able to do with him? And what is Derek Carr? Like, he had one really good year, and then last year it didn't look that great for him. So we don't even really know what we have with him. That's true. Amari Cooper needs to stop dropping the damn ball. You want to hear my random one? I think offensive line in the NFC West is sneaky bad. Oh, I think the Rams. Oh, yeah. yeah. I think the Rams were solid, but also McVay is a genius at, you know, getting the ball out and executing yep. the right plays and they get the ball so fast. I think the Cardinals Se- have probably the worst offensive oh. line I've ever seen. Seahawks. Seahawks offensive line. Yeah. Cardinals awful. Niners. Not great. No, not McGlinchey great. has to be very good. Josh very Garnett fast. is not very good or hasn't been Lake and Tomlinson was a bust. Jonathan Cooper was a bust. Ugh. Wow. I mean, nice. Kyle, Kyle's <laughs> another guy like Sean where, He'll maximize that unit, but as a whole in this division, just talent on paper talent. These offensive lines are not very good. Yeah, no, that's a good, it's a good answer. Uh, all right, last one. I wanted to end on a fun one. Uh, Jay Rummy ninety one. In your opinion, guys, what NFL teams have the best fan tailgating experiences? Ooh, man, I, I'm very biased because I've only tailgated for a Chiefs game. But it is so good. Like the barbecue that you get in Kansas City, it's not overrated. Like we've been other places. We've we even went to Philly and tried their cheesesteaks, but just <sighs> nothing holds up and compares to Kansas City barbecue, not even Texas barbecue. Thank it's you. a great atmosphere. Chiefs fans are crazy. Like they're very passionate about their team. They all come together. They when gates open, Chiefs fans are there. There's a line. 7 a.m. on Sunday because Chiefs want to just tailgate and have fun. Cannot wait. Uh, my I, answer, yeah, I I've, agree with that. I've never been to a Green Bay Packers game, but I've heard stories, and I imagine that that has to be the best because it's just like yard parties because the stadium's in the middle of a neighborhood, and you just like park people's yards and in their backyard. They're all partying. I think that would be fantastic. That's more like colleges where you like you go to a Mizzou game and you're you're paying 20 bucks to park in some frat's backyard and they give you yeah. beer and food for the price of parking. Like that's the kind of stuff that I, I think is pretty cool. So um, yeah, it's going to be, it's hard to beat Arrowhead, but I think Lambeau could. You have cool. to yeah, also I mean, mention the bills. 
Like oh, the, Bill's oh, Mafia. Bill's Mafia. <laughs> if you just wanted to go in like a drunken rager, go to Buffalo because you're going to get into some shit. You're probably leaving with a broken arm. Yeah, I mean, or some burns on from fire. jumping through a table. Yeah, yeah. You but might, it looks like you might a good leave time. on fire. Yeah, it's. I, I mean, being from New York, it's not the Jets or Giants, but it is fun when the Bills come to town because then all the Bills fans come and it's out of control. So NFL tailgating is not great, honestly. It's not. It's funny whenever I meet people that are where I grew up, like in the Jets parking lot. Like there's times where I think I might have been born there. I, it's just okay. Like, I don't know. It's not, it, it could be a lot better. The stadium's ta- in the middle of nowhere. Yeah. It's not a great stadium. And tailgating is more of a college. Thing. Yes. Really? Yes. Is. Yeah. I mean, it's incredible at almost any college level. I remember when me and Matt were at Notre Dame USC, what was that, two years ago? Yeah. It's like exactly what he said with the Packers. There's like, you're just on people's yards walking to the stadium. And it's it cold that day. Whew. Yeah. Well, anywhere out, out there. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it was. And that was October. Yeah, that was, I'd like to go back. I'd do that one again. Same. All right. That's our show. A lot of fun today. Got to a lot of great questions. O-line, D-line previews, some around the league stuff. Uh, just a reminder, follow us on Twitter at Stick Football or at NFL Draft Scout, at Connor J. Rogers, at Mellow Esquire. We're all on Instagram, too. Probably same handles, I think. Yep. Uh, look at that synergy. And you can get on that Reddit forum, leave your questions. Definitely appreciate you guys. We will talk to you Friday morning. Have a fun show. Colton Underwood from The Bachelorette is going to join us to talk a little football. Talk a little, is he still a virgin? Talk a little uh, <laughs> fantasy Swedes, Bachelor in Paradise. We're just going to have fun with him. He's oh, yeah. our kind of guy. We're just going to have fun with him. Minus me that one thing. He's our kind of guy. We're going to have fun. We will talk to you guys then. Be sure to send in those just the tip questions.